Welcome to Medical Student Study Cast, the podcast to help third-year medical students study for clerkships, where I have the questions and you have the answers. Hi, I am your host, Josh Bradford, a third-year medical student at Rocky Vista University. The goal of this podcast is to help medical students study for high-yield topics and actively test knowledge. I use several resources and pick out some of the highest-yield information. This podcast uses a question-and-answer format, which can help test and gauge what you know and help identify the knowledge gaps. I encourage you to do your best to actively answer the questions. Let's get started. Psychiatry Clerkship. In this episode, we'll cover pediatric disorders. First off, some general advice. There are many medical conditions related to pediatrics, so I recommend that you familiarize yourself with the basic case presentation of each one. We'll go through a lot of them here, but it's worth familiarizing yourself. Also, spend some time learning about the normal pediatric development. This is something they like to test on and relate back into pediatric psychiatry. I recommend that when you're reading a question stem, use the age of the individual to help narrow down the disorders that the patient is likely to have, and so keep in mind the specific pediatric conditions we talk about. Let's move on to some basic developmental stuff. We're going to start with Piaget's stages. These are not incredibly high yield, but there are a few high yield points. So first, a uh, small nine-month-old infant giggles as her aunt plays peekaboo with her in the doctor's office. What stage is she in, and what skill is she developing? So the stage is sensory motor, and the skill is object permanence. Peekaboo is a way that children can learn object permanence and will develop throughout time. So even though they might understand that the object doesn't completely um, vanish from existence when it disappears from vision, they still enjoy playing peekaboo. And that early stage is sensory motor. The next stage is pre-operational. And then a child whose dog dies and realizes for the first time that she won't see her dog anymore. She starts to cry. What age is she and what Piaget stage? So if she's early in the concrete operational stage, she would be seven years old. And that's when they learn that death is permanent. So seven years old, death is permanent. Moving on, a child is 12 years old and in the formal operational stage. What is the most valuable skill that's learned here? So it's a pretty general skill and this is the idea that they can learn to think in abstract terms. So they can um, gather a lot of data and synthesize it, come to a conclusion based on the data. The next topic we're going to talk about is speech development. This may not seem super relevant to psychiatry, but it's going to help identify if a patient is delayed in speech and possibly intellectually delayed. So there's a baby who is laughing, following sounds with eyes and babbles. Approximately what age is this? So this is four to six months old. I just remember that babies don't follow stuff super well and the smiles aren't really meaningful before like age two or three or month two or three. So you can think after that, so four to six months is when they laugh, follow sounds with eyes and babble. Next, a baby has said the first words, enjoys peekaboo and responds when being called. What age? This is around one year and you're gonna learn a rule here. So they can say their first word around one year, so one year, one word. All right, keep that in mind. Now there's a baby who 
or an infant, I should say, who uh, says two word phrases, can communicate with a family and name objects. How old? This infant is two to three years old. And uh, the key here is two word phrases starting at two years old. So one word at one year, two word phrases at two years old. Now there's a four word phrase, ask simple questions and can speak without repeating words. An infant that can do this is approximately how old? And you guessed it, around four years old. So three to four years old, they can start doing four word phrases. So if you learn the word per rule phrase, one word phrase at one year old, two word phrase at two years old, I can say that that gave me a few points. Getting into some of the more intense stuff, pediatric neurodevelopment. Let's start with defining intellectual disability disorder. What is its basic criteria? So there's obviously intellectual disability, that's decreased cognitive skill. It's important to remember that not many things increase intellectual ability, but a lot of things can decrease it. We're going to talk about all of those. And then a good way to think about it is that there is some damage or inappropriate development to the neurons of the brains. What is the average IQ? The average IQ, or intelligence quotient, is 100. What's the standard deviation? The standard deviation is 15. I got tripped up and thought it was 10, but it's 15. And learning some of the categories might help you. Now there are four categories of intellectual disability. Mild, moderate, severe, and profound. What's the range for mild? The range for mild intellectual disability is starts at two standard deviations and goes till three. So 15 times two is 30, 100 minus 30 is 70. So from 55 to 70. And then each one goes down below that. So moderate is 40 to 55, severe is 25 to 40, and below 25 is profound. What are some genetic syndromes that are related to IDD or intellectual disability disorder? There are a ton of disorders. We're going to go through more in, in uh, specifics, but two to really keep in mind are Down syndrome and Fragile X. And uh, those two are tested quite a bit because they're very common. Also, there are many non-infectious, non-genetic ways to acquire intellectual disability disorder. What are some examples of these acquired versions? This would be lead poisoning, fetal alcohol syndrome, and low thyroid, also known as cretinism. What is the most common cause of preventable intellectual delay in babies? Fetal alcohol syndrome is the most common cause. And what does that patient look like? Fetal alcohol syndrome looks like a smaller baby and a couple of important physical features they might mention is a thin vermilion border and a smooth philtrum. What might be a reason for why it's so common? So a case might be a woman who was not trying to get pregnant, was on birth control that failed, and she was still drinking alcohol during that time period because she wasn't anticipating getting pregnant. Let's go through some specific case presentations. There's intellectual dis delay with all of these and a baby is born with simian crease and a heart murmur. What is it? There can also be some facial abnormalities. This is Down syndrome, also known as trisomy 21, and there are a couple of risks for diseases later in life. What are they? There's increased risk for Alzheimer's because the chromosome 21 carries the APB protein, and then there's also the risk for ALL cancer. 
Now you have a male with a macro organism, intellectual disability, long face, and big ears. What is this? This is Fragile X. And what is the inheritance pattern for Fragile X? That's a trinucleotide repeat with anticipation, where the child will get a worse version earlier in life. Next case, excessive laughing, ataxia and seizures, and the chromosome 15 maternal deletion. What is it? This is Angelman syndrome. Remember that the chromosome 15 is the maternal deletion, so the mother is an angel, but that's the one that's deleted. Remember that. Next case is a uh, child with micropenis, underweight until adolescence, and then excessive eating and obesity with the paternal chromosome 15 deletion. This is Prater Willie, who has a small Willie. So Prater Willie is the paternal chromosome 15 deletion. Engelman's is the maternal chromosome 15 deletion. Both obviously cause developmental delay. Next case is a 22Q11 deletion with heart defects, loss of thymus with a deficiency of mature T cells. What's this? In this one, there also can be facial abnormalities. And this is DeGeorge syndrome. Catch 22, if you remember that, DeGeorge syndrome. Next case, a female who loses milestones after about age four, she begins to develop ataxia, hand wringing, and difficulty speaking. What's this one? So this is Rett syndrome. Rett syndrome is way more common in females, and then Fragile X is far more common in males just because of the inheritance pattern. What are the torch infections? All of these can cause intellectual disability. What are the torch infections? Toxoplasmosis, rubella, cytomegalovirus, herpes and HIV, and syphilis. And there are always a few others that some people put in there, but those are the main ones. I'm not going to go through each of those presentations, but it's worth learning them. Let's move on to autism spectrum disorder. Starting with a case, a four-year-old male is observed playing with pieces of toys and doesn't make eye contact, becomes very unhappy when the normal routine is broken and has sensitivity to sensory stimuli. What is this? This is autism spectrum disorder. What problems are identified in children with ASD? So the key problems that are really noticeable are social communication and relationship skills. Often one of the earliest identifiers is decreased eye contact. What are examples of autistic behavior? That's repeating behavior, rigid habits, sensitivity to sensory stimulation. When do these behaviors normally begin? So if a really observant person is watching, you can notice them as early as age one or two. Usually they're there by age three, but when is it often diagnosed? It's not uncommon for them to be diagnosed around age four or five because of preschool and kindergarten where the teachers can tell that the child interacts differently than the other children. Also, when talking about autism spectrum disorder, never pick the answer choice to ask about vacation history. It's never the right answer. It's worth noting that this is a spectrum and there are some children that have very high potential. These used to be called Asperger's and that's the top end. And then there are also children at the bottom end that can be very disabled. For children with ASD, what is the best therapy? So one reason why this is important to test early is because early intervention can be really helpful, and that can be special classes in school, behavioral therapy, and psychoeducation. What medication can you give an autistic patient that is excessively aggressive? 
So be low-dose second-generation antipsychotics, and I just warn you not to pick this answer unless it's really, really obvious, but those antipsychotics can calm the aggression. All right, moving on. A nine-year-old boy doesn't finish his homework despite multiple reminders. His mother has to tell him five times to do chores, and he easily gets distracted. What is this? Well, this is most likely attention deficit hyperactivity disorder, or ADHD, but where must the inattention and disruptive symptoms be present? In at least two locations. And so in this question stem, it just talked about home, kind of mentioned getting homework done, but didn't say if it was at school. So two locations, this might be home and school, or school and soccer practice, something like that. How long must these symptoms last before the diagnosis can be made? The symptoms need to last at least six months, but they are consistent symptoms and do not resolve on their own. They usually present before age 12, and that's a really important uh, point to make because some kids need help focusing or start becoming a little bit of a trouble child later on, but the symptoms should have been present before age 12, uh, classically, to make the diagnosis of ADHD. Although this is a mental disorder, a psychiatric disorder, it presents as a behavioral problem. What other problems can occur with ADHD? Other comorbid conditions with ADHD include oppositional defiant disorder and conduct disorder. This can make sense if kids have trouble uh, following rules, ADHD can push them towards those oppositional disorders. What class of medication is most helpful in ADHD? Stimulants are first line in ADHD. This may be counterintuitive because stimulants are often considered to increase activity and hyperactivity, but certain stimulants increase focus. So what is the mode of action of methylphenidate, one of the important agents in ADHD? So the mode of action is blocking dopamine reuptake, which means that there's a chance that it can be addictive. So the same nine-year-old was placed on methylphenidate. What should his mom keep an eye out for? What side effects are there? The important one to keep in mind here is weight loss and loss of appetite. So if he's already really small, if he loses too much weight, methylphenidate might uh, be contraindicated. Also, there can be some increase in heart rate and blood pressure if there's already a problem with the child. That might also contraindicate. Another important drug is dextroamphetamine. And what is this block in addition to dopamine? Dextroamphetamines can also block norepinephrine. Now, Let's say that his behavior is under control, but his mom wants to try something that's less addictive because she doesn't feel comfortable with methylphenidate. What else can he use? Atomoxetine is a less addictive stimulant. It is a norepinephrine reuptake inhibitor. It also tends to be a little less efficacious. Uh, so what other adjunct can be given? Second-line agents include medications that are alpha-2 agonists. What are some alpha-2 agonists that you can use? These drugs include clonidine or guanfacine. They're both non-addictive, non-stimulant medications. Another important medication is SNRIs, excuse me, and these can be helpful because they also enhance norepinephrine like dextroamphetamines do. Let's move on to Tourette's syndrome. Full Tourette's disorder presents with what two things? This is both physical and vocal tics. These are not controllable, either vocal noises or physical twitches or grimaces. How long do these symptoms need to be present for to make the diagnosis? 
They need to be present for essentially daily for a year. What treatments are most helpful? D2 antagonists are most effective, such as haloperidol. Because haloperidol has such an extensive side effect profile, it's not always given. Um, what other medication can be given first line? So clonidine is first line, but haloperidol is more effective. It just has a worse side effect profile. Now we're going to move on to some previously covered topics really quickly, go through some of the pediatric disorders we covered in other chapters just as a review, and then we'll do the rapid review. Oppositional defiant disorder. What is the key feature here? This is defiance against authority. Now that being contrasted to conduct disorder, what's the key feature here? Conduct disorder is more likely to inflict pain and have lack of empathy. So this is someone who would be defined as an antisocial personality disorder, but they're younger than 18 years old and they're more likely to become a criminal later in life. What tests, what lab tests should be done for either one of these disorders? It's kind of a tricky question. What I'm going at here is a urinary analysis. This is because of drug abuse. A really high likelihood of drug abuse, and so you want to catch that. And just reviewing, what's the major difference between conduct disorder and oppositional disorder? Conduct inflicts pain and breaks rules, while oppositional dis defiant disorder doesn't inflict pain and will break rules mostly to be defiant against authority. So remember, inflicting pain versus no pain is the major difference. So let's take a little case for example. A 15-year-old patient is disruptive in class and is often sent to the school office. So if this is just one class, there's a good chance that it's normal behavior and the student doesn't get along with that particular teacher. Now what if it's the same kid but it's several classes and he gets in, his, gets in verbal fights with his mom and comes home after his nighttime curfew? What's this? This sounds a lot more like oppositional defiant disorder because there's real opposition against authority in multiple places. Now, lastly, he gets in fights at school and three times in the last year got brought home by the police for stealing from stores at the mall and damaging cars in the parking lot. What's this? It's conduct disorder. Let's move on to a different topic in general. A four-year-old quiet male is brought in, into the clinic by his mother. On exam, he flinches when being touched. He is bruising at multiple sites and with different ages of healing. He has a burn on the back of his neck. What do you do? So what we're going for here is physical abuse. And as a physician, you are a mandatory reporter to a child protective service. So the keys are bruises at different ages of healing and then injuries that don't make sense. So this would be a burn on the back of his neck. Doesn't make any sense how he got it except for physical abuse. Next case. An 11-year-old female doesn't make eye contact with a physician. She has bruising on her inner thighs and is positive for gonorrhea. What is this? Now, this is a really horrible case to think about, but up to 25% of girls are exposed to some sort of sexual abuse. Now, that's not necessarily being fully being raped, but in this case, that's of a high likelihood. It's a terrible situation, and you're in a unique place to help. So, sexual abuse has a huge increased risk for pretty much all psychiatric problems, PTSD, depression, anxiety, dissociative disorders, substance abuse, suicide, and many more. Let's move on to reactive attachment disorder and disinhibited social engagement disorder. So what 
are the key features of reactive attachment disorder. The child had neglect or abuse at an early age and has trouble re um, attaching to uh, an adult caregiver. Disinhibited social engagement disorder, on the other hand, they're disinhibited, so they're not controlled and they're more likely to um, connect inappropriately. Next, we're going to move on to sleep disorders. A patient wakes up screaming for the last couple of weeks, spent the last few nights in her parents' bed. She's consolable, but may take some time to get back to sleep. What is this? This is nightmare disorder. And the key here is that they are in REM, so they remember their dream, they're easily arousable, and uh, they're able to be con um, consoled back to sleep. It can look like separation anxiety because the child wants to sleep with the parent, but they should be fine at school and social activities. And then what differentiates this from nighttime, sorry, night terror disorder? So night terrors, the patient kind of wakes up, but they're not fully awake. They're not consolable. They go back to sleep and they don't remember anything in the morning. This patient wakes up, is consolable, remembers the dream, and remembers it in the morning. Next, remember that general anxiety disorder is one year in adolescence. How do you distinguish between an angsty teen or general anxiety disorder? I'm just stressing this because this is an easy thing to be confused about. Angsty teens can look a lot like general anxiety disorder, but it needs to be about multiple things most days and has to cause excessive distress and impairment. That's to be keeping them from doing things worse grades, uh, friends or teachers notice something that's wrong. What do you do in a child with hallucinations or delusions? Well, is this schizophrenia? That's not very likely because schizophrenia is very rare in children. So in this case, always check for a medical cause. You could have type 1 diabetes with hypoglycemia, some sort of thyroid crisis, or maybe meningitis. Let's move on to rapid review. When is a child able to understand death? That would be starting around age seven in the concrete phase. There's a four-year-old boy who comes in the clinic. While you're assessing him, you notice that he can only speak in two word phrases. Is this appropriate? No, four-year-old boy should be able to speak in four word phrases. Remember the word per year rule. A six-year-old child is being tested to see if she needs to receive extra assistance at school. Her IQ is 68. What is the diagnosis? This is mild IDD, and that mild range again is between 55 and 70. Next case. A child is born to a mother with limited prenatal services. The baby is tested and is positive for tri trisomy 21. What future diseases is this child at risk for? Alzheimer's disease and acute lymphobasket leukemia. Next, a 12-year-old boy with macroorganism, intellectual delay, and big ears. What disorder is this? It's fragile X. Now, a four-year-old boy who makes limited eye contact and prefers to play by himself with a toy that has several spinning parts. His mother doesn't feel like she really connects with her son. On observation, he is repeatedly twisting the same part of the toy in the office. What's the disorder? Autism spectrum disorder. What should you give to a patient with ADHD but is underweight? Remember, you don't want to give a stimulus to a child who is already underweight because it decreases appetite. So here you might want to try clonidine or guanfacine. What's the criteria for diagnosing ADHD? This would be inattention and disruptive behavior in at least two locations for six months. 
Thanks for listening to Medical Student Study Cast. Here's the quote of the day. Frederick Douglass said, It is easier to build strong children than to repair broken men. Picasso said, All children are artists. The problem is how to remain an artist once they grow up. So here, let's take care of our children. Let's encourage them to be artistic. Now, if you appreciate this podcast, please consider supporting this content by donating to my Patreon at patreon.com forward slash medical student study cast or at anchor.fm forward slash medical dash student dash study cast. If you have comments or concerns, please contact me at medical student study cast at gmail.com. Share what you find helpful, changes you would like to see, and personal experiences with the podcast. Remember, I'm only a humble third year medical student. So if I make any mistakes, please feel free to let me know, and I'll do my best to correct and provide the most useful, concise, and accurate study tool that I can. Disclaimer, this podcast is not meant to be the only resource of learning used for medical student clerkships. This podcast is not affiliated with Rocky Vista University and should not be used to diagnose or treat patients. I'd like to thank freemusicarchive.org for the intro and outro music.